I come from a place that when we, when we treat them as equal, when both the show and the people putting on the show are of equal importance, then they both get better and they both are elevated. Like they rise together. They're not independent of each other and we can't value them independently. Episode 11 of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women plus in theater take center stage in lives they love. I'm your host and grown-up theater kid extraordinaire, Emily Stamets. Something I've been thinking about a lot this week is how easy it is for us to lose our creative spark. Even for those of us who work in the theater or who work in a creative industry, it can be very, very easy for us to lose the way that we love to bring creativity into our work. So something I would love for you to join me with this week is start doing those creative things again. And ideally, do them in a way that's not connected to any outcome. Something that no one's ever going to see, something that's not about being part of the show, something that's not connected to your job. Sketch some costume designs, practice a monologue, get some friends together in your living room and direct them in a scene. Just do something fun that takes you back to why you love theater in the first place. Stay connected to that spark, stay connected to that passion, and I guarantee everything else in your life will feel so much easier. Now, I believe that's because we are at our very core creative beings. There was something that drew us to theater in the first place. And the more we can do to connect with that and to get centered around that creative core of ourselves, the more we're able to approach our lives in a very centered way, which is how we have a strong foundation to deal with stress and big emotions and the sort of extreme and epic things that happen in our lives. So go out and do something fun and creative this week and let me know about it. You can email me anytime. Hello at emilystamets.com. My conversation today is with Julie Willette. Julie is an actor, writer, director, and producer whose work focuses heavily on empowering queer artists. They are the producing artistic director of the Commons Los Angeles, which has a mission of radical inclusivity, which we talk about in our conversation today. Julie strives to create work that challenges artists, audiences, and the industry as a whole, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation today as much as I did. Here we go. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm really excited to talk to you. I know it's Thank been- you for having me. Yeah, I know we've had like some, uh, we had a discussion on the calendar like many yeah. months ago and we rescheduled yeah. a couple times. So I'm really glad that yeah. it's finally happening today. Me too. <laughs> um, me too. Yay. So let's dive right in. How did you cool. get started in theater and what did that journey look like from that first moment up until where you are today? Oh my gosh. Just, I know. just a little like bit. A really easy one. <laughs> just your whole life story. Cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I started in theater like I think a lot of people do, um, which was very young. And um, I did a production. My first ever play was a production of uh, Oliver Twist in fifth grade. Um, And it was like, I was hooked. And I was very fortunate to have a school that had a really 
great theater program and a school that really supported the arts when I was very young. Um, and I think that that was really like what pushed me into it. And then I was a theater kid all through middle school, all through high school. Um, my senior year of high school, I, I, it's as the times go on, right? Like our support of the arts has dwindled. And so as I was going into high school, that was starting to happen. And I was found myself really frustrated with, um, with that, with that lack of support and that lack of energy that was being given to the arts and kind of the lack of resources we were having. And I, I wanted to do theater and I wanted to do theater that mattered even more importantly, like, um, much more than this, like the one year school musical, I wanted to do something that had a little bit of, of an impact. And so my senior year I, is when I produced my first show. I wrote and produced a show that um, was geared towards bullying and gun violence or rather geared towards speaking out against bullying and gun violence. And um, was fortunate to have the opportunity to produce that through my school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually when I really caught the bug. Um, that was like not an easy thing to do, especially as a senior in high school, you don't know what you're doing. And um, having the opportunity to do that and honestly like getting a lot of pushback from administration and having to overcome a lot of challenges mm-hmm. that for me was something that because my friends that were producing with me um because we kept overcoming that it really pushed me to understand that like art's not easy theater's not easy anyone who tells you that theater is easy is lying to you Um, (laughs) and certainly doing it well is not easy but if if you're bitten by the bug you're going to keep going and so that experience really pushed me into like knowing that that's what I wanted to do in college um so I went to college majored in in musical theater um and and love every aspect of it. I'm an actor, I'm a director, I'm a writer, I'm a producer. I never do all of those things on one project because it's too much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. definitely, yeah, too much, too much. Um, but I, I love all of them and I think that they all inform each other and, and how we approach each one. Yeah. How's that and knowing, for like a little nutshell? That's perfect. <laughs> and kind of knowing how each of those roles operates and what yeah. the priorities are. I'm sure allows you to communicate with the other people on the team, no matter what role you're in, in like God, the yes. language that they speak. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes. I also have stage managed and I'm also a fight choreographer and working on intimacy direction. So it's, I really believe that like the more we can do a little bit of everything or at least experience a little bit of everything or shadow someone who does something, the, the more that we can, broaden our knowledge of each aspect of theater and truly understand that the better it allows us to do our jobs right like being an actor helps me as a director communicate to actors it helps me as a producer understand what my actors might need being a producer helps me as an actor understand what my producer is dealing with and how I can make their job easier and it just all kinds of feed kind of feeds itself each other absolutely and you you caught the bug really with a piece that was <clears throat> very like social socially mm-hmm. oriented. Mm-hmm. Have you continued with that theme in your work? God, yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I believe that theater can be simultaneously entertaining and important. Um, I I have never been drawn to pieces that are just fluff, um, either as a creator or an audience member. I think that that they're important and they serve a purpose in terms of getting butts in seats and and inviting people to a theater when, you know, in a time of escapism and a time when that's what we're looking for. And also on the other end of the spectrum, I'm not super interested in like 
just like what I call like angry militant theater that is is shocking and unwatchable because it's like trying not trying so hard but it's it's fighting so hard to to make a point I think that we can live really in the middle ground of something that is uplifting and entertaining and educational and socially conscious and because whatever issue you're trying to touch exists in our like daily lives it also exists naturally in any play you produce, right? And so it's just a matter of, of finding it and acknowledging it and, and using that as, as the launching point or as a talking point for, like the, for the greater purpose of the show. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I like that. I like the, the finding the interplay between entertainment and importance, right? And like maybe not profundity, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like things that matter, it's a phrase, not a word, mm-hmm. but I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, because theater, like, it should have an impact. Otherwise, why are we doing it, right? Art super matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we make art map that matters so much that it's hard to watch because it's, like, really emotionally challenging, mm-hmm. that's There's tricky. There's been studies done, um, particularly in the world of education, that people retain more information and make more meaning out of stuff um, when they're laughing or when they're having... Really? Yeah, emotionally. So. I want to know so much more about that little piece of information because <laughs> I love comedy and I love parody. And like, mm-hmm. sometimes I find myself wondering why, because like satire is important, but I'm also like, no, we should just be doing like important art that matters, but like comedy super matters. And I, I love that. And I want to know so much more about yeah, that. There's, I, I can't <laughs> off the top of my head, pull up, like none of the researchers are coming to the top of mind. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I did a, a ton of, I've, I have enough, as much education and experience in education as I do in theater. Cool. Uh, and there's a lot of information in education about like, have your, like make your students laugh, make them feel warm, make them feel welcome. Like that's, yeah. that is actually a really important piece of being in the classroom and, and that's so cool. Students. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. So give us a snapshot of what you're doing now. I am the producing artistic director of a theater company called The Commons Collective. We're based in Los Angeles. Um, We are a queer-focused theater company that really prides itself and believes in authenticity in everything we do and in radical inclusivity. I kind of got exhausted from what I will just very nicely call like inauthentic efforts in the shows that I was doing in the theaters that I was working for. Um, and so I really wanted to create a company that was true to itself and was true to its word. Um, and that every effort that we do is something that we actually genuinely value. And it's not something that we're doing because we need grant funding and it's not something that we're just saying so that we can get marketing or get buzz buzz going, um, that everything we do is very true to who we are. I was also interested in creating a genuinely inclusive and accessible space um, because I think that that's so important <laughs> and something that a lot of us are talking about and talking about how we can improve it, but not making super good on. And so I was interested in like what a genuine commitment to that looks like and and what being willing to accept that I don't have all those answers looks like and, and making a, a really like community centric space. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm recovering slightly from bronchitis. So oh, you poor thing. If I cough. Um, 
Yeah. I so, think that, so can I just yeah. it, like really quickly that like the example that's coming to mind that is a very recent history is yeah. the Tony Awards that just yes. happened. Yes. Oh my God. 2019 Tony Awards. Yes. And for the first time, a person who uses a wheelchair won a Tony. Yes. Um, Amazing. Congratulations. And there was no ramp for her to Correct. get from the house to the stage. So Absolutely it's like, like, hey, we're inclusive. We're like giving awards to someone with a visible disability. Uh, yeah. But also... We haven't thought about how to accommodate that person. This You're like nailing it on the head. This is... Yeah. I have a whole TED talk on... I, not really, <laughs> but like I want to do a TED talk on this. Um, it's... We we have this effort and we do this push that is in... It's the best of intentions, right? But when we don't include people from that perspective or when we don't sit down and really think about what this means on like a bigger scale and what it means to accommodate the people that we're like including it goes so terribly wrong and it can be so much more damaging. And, and I don't mean to like not include people for fear of this. I just mean that we have to ask questions. I worked for a company that had the best of intentions about doing this really great education program and, and invited a lot of underprivileged children to come see theater. And there was a particular show that we did that had a very triggering moment. And no one thought about the fact that like for this specific group of children, perhaps this play might be more psychologically damaging than it will be successful in exposing them to the arts. Mm-hmm. And then when we invite and they came and, and then our front of house staff wasn't prepared to deal with what that meant and how to accommodate. And there were some incidents and it was like the founding of everything I've ever done since then is like, we have to do better. We have to do better. It's like my artistic thesis is we can totally do better. Yeah. I love that. Can you give us an example of what radical inclusivity looks like for you and your company? Yeah. It's kind of a hard question because I think it, it changes every day and it changes with every show. Um, (coughs) excuse me. I often say that I, we are not a company that is exclusively inclusive. Um, there are a lot of companies that are dedicated to like one very specific pocket or sect of, of uh, any community, whether it's like a specific sect of the queer community, or it is, you know, I'll just use queer cause that's what we do. Um, or it's, or it's the queer community in general and like no one else is allowed. And, and that is well-intentioned because it, it fosters a safe environment and it fosters a, an environment where people like, can really be themselves and their art can really shine. Um, I don't do theater where non-queer people are not allowed. I have a queer company, but we welcome everyone because I think that when we, when we make theater that is exclusively inclusive, we're perpetuating this narrative that our stories don't belong in the mainstream, right? We're, we're continuing this idea that in order for queer performers to have opportunities, they have to go to a queer company where, you know, heteronormative ideals of what beauty looks like or what relationships look like or what anything looks like are rejected. Mm-hmm. But I think that by doing that, we're actually damaging, we're damaging that more because even though it creates this safe environment, it excludes us from the mainstream. So for me, radical inclusivity means being genuinely and authentically welcoming of everyone. And I'm, I, intersectionality is such an important thing. And the idea that like, this villainization of the straight white cis community is ultimately going to bite us because it's, it's, it's the othering thing. And by doing that, like we're continuing to other ourselves. And so we have to welcome them into the fold as well because otherwise they will never learn. They will never grow. Right. And so by everyone genuinely being 
in it together. And by accepting that I don't have all of the answers about what it means to be inclusive of every single person of every single community, because I don't have all of those experiences. All I can do as a, as a producer and as a leader is listen and try and give people what they're asking for and, and acknowledge that I don't know best. Um, that to me is what radical inclusivity means. It's, it's going beyond the 2019 idea of inclusivity, which is like, we have the gay company and we have the black company and we, right. And all of that. And just saying like, we all should exist together and, and every person is unique regardless of which community they come from or which communities they come from. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how do you make sure that your company reflects that? Like, what are some of the practical, like, let's just bring it down the ladder a little bit and sure. how do you practice that? Oh my God. Such a good question. Um, it's, you're hitting on something that's like a really complicated part of producing today. Um, which is how do we make sure that our company reflects our values because it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. And therefore I think it's something that a lot of people give up on. And especially when we're talking about inclusivity, um, part of it is acknowledging and accepting that the most experienced or most qualified person for the job is not always the best person for the job, right? That we, of course, as theater makers, we want to work with the most talented actors and the most talented designers and the most qualified stage managers who have been to Broadway and back and all of these things. And the issue is that we historically have not given minority communities those opportunities to gain that experience or to gain that talent. And so for me, it's really about, I see producing as caretaking. I also see producing as like mentoring. And so if I have an opportunity to hire the most qualified person versus the best person for the job. Those two things are not always the same thing. And so we have to be willing to hire the best person for the job, whatever that means for the community that we're trying to reflect. So for me, it's about really striving to, to give the opportunity and to find the people. And it's also challenging because we have like, how do I even want to say this? We've created the cycle of not offering opportunities and therefore the places that opportunities are offered, people are no longer looking. And therefore, when we are looking for someone to fill that opportunity that is against the mainstream or that is not the default, they're no longer looking at that avenue. So then we're like, oh, well, there's just no people of color who are, you know, designing lights anymore. There's no queer people who are costume designers. And like, that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. It's just that <clears throat> I deal with this with casting a lot. It's like, you're not going to pay $100 a year for a subscription to Backstage if you're a person of color. And if every every like breakdown that you see is looking for like white straight male, right? You're just going to stop paying that money. So then when casting directors need a person of color, want a person of color to fill a role, they post it on actors access. And then they're like, Oh, there's no people here. No, you gotta, you gotta dig harder. You gotta dig deeper. And so for me, practicing that is about being willing to put in the footwork and being willing to dig and network and find people that are not as easily accessible as those people that we've been lifting up into power positions. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Julie, tell us a vivid memory that you have of the theater. <laughs> um, yeah, I have so many. Um, <laughs> the first one that popped into your head. Uh, the first one that popped into my head is actually 
are you sorry? Are you looking for like as an audience member or as a either one? Anything? Just the first like, no rules experience that sticks with you. Totally no rules. No rules no, ever. No rules ever. Oh my god, my <laughs> life motto. Um, so I did a children's pro- not a children's production. I did a production of a musical geared towards children. Um, and I was really excited when I walked into the audition room and saw a, like a ton of diversity and I was so stoked and I was auditioning for specifically an ensemble role that was going to be seven people in the ensemble. And I was like, so pumped with the ensemble that was coming together, like, you know, and callbacks were happening. And I was like, oh man, like this is going to be such a cool thing. Look at all this diversity, not, and there was diversity in race, there was diversity in body size and personality type and height and gender. It was like such a cool thing. And then I, and I got cast and I was like super stoked and I showed up to the first day of rehearsal and I was like excited to meet my people. And, um, the rest of the ensemble was like size zero blonde, white women Mm. under 25. And I was like, okay, (laughs) all right, cool. And it, it was, um, it was a little jar and it's like, it's never, surprising but it's always shocking does that make sense yeah. like it's it's never like oh I didn't see this coming but it's always like man really yeah um, it's disappointing right yeah and especially when when the people showed up right like it's not you can't say no one else came to auditions right yeah and so um I I like I had to kind of readdress my my very specific part in there because being a plus size person and a plus size performer um it was like, okay, so this is my opportunity now, instead of to be part of this like celebrated diverse ensemble, it's now my job to, um, to represent what a plus size person looks like on stage. Because I remember as a young plus size person, I didn't always have great representation of that. So I was like really fighting to like, you know, do the best I could with what we were given. And to make a very long story short, when it came to costuming, uh, they didn't know what to do with me. We were supposed to all have like matching skirts and crop tops, which like, cool, I'm in. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I love a crop top. I was wearing one earlier. Um, and, and it just, and I like was vocal with the producer and with the costume designer of like, hey, the stores that you shop at for the rest of the ensemble is not going to work for me. And I was trying to say, what can I do? How can I help? What can I provide? Um, and it got to our first preview when I showed up and I still didn't have a costume. And I was told mm. like, just wear the t-shirt that you're wearing. And I was like, First of all, no, um, because then it's like, it's, it's telling every small child in the audience that if you're, if you don't look like your six beautiful, stunning best friends, you don't get to dress like them and you don't get to do the same thing they do. And I, I like found something in the corner and like made it work. And then that became my costume for the show. They never costumed me. It was like this found piece of fabric that I had just like tied over my body for a preview. And then that was just it. And that for me too was like from beginning to end of that production. And it's not that people didn't have good intentions and it's not that everyone was just like a villain, but it was so clear about like, this is what not taking care of your people looks like. And this is what being inclusive, but not being ready to accommodate looks like. And this is what not prioritizing treating everyone as equals looks like. And I think that that was, that was the last show that I did before I started this company actually. And I didn't ever connect that they were directly related until this moment. So that's great. <laughs> um, but I, but they're totally related, you know, wow. and that's, I really strive to not have those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. honestly, like it's not that 
hard. Like it's not, (laughs) it shouldn't be. Like that's the thing that like, I don't even know what to say about that. Cause I can't imagine just being like, well, I would have had to go to a different store for you. So Hello, Ricola. Um, yeah, sorry. Bronchitis. <laughs> there was right? a <laughs> rapper that just appeared. Um, I just can't imagine being like, like, I don't know. I would have had to go to a different store. Uh, right. Just don't get a costume for the show. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was. Who says that? I mean, and of course, it's like any production, there's a lot going on and people are overworked and all of these things. But it also has like. But it is your job as a mm-hmm. costumer to yeah. send people on stage in clothing that like covers their parts and works with it. Like that's your job. It's, it's like not okay to just be like, I don't know. Like if I was a teacher and I was like, I don't know, those kids over there are just a little different. So I'm just not going to teach them. Right. That's kind of, that's not your job. I don't know. Right. And I think that like, it was, it was an eye opening because I felt like even though I had gone to, to production several times and, and, you know, voices before costumes were even in the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I heard like the words rental package and I was like, there's going to be nothing in that rental package that fits me just so everyone's aware. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, I felt like even more than feeling failed by the costume designer, I felt failed by the producers yeah. and I felt failed by the director. And so, um, it has really like fueled that and a thousand other experiences have really fueled my idea that like a producer's job is, is a caretaker and is a supporter. It's, you know, I mean, yes, it's about budget and it's about contracts and all of that, all of that stuff. But really it's about making sure that everyone in the room has an advocate in the room, right. And that everyone in the room gets, gets what they need and has someone that they can go to. Um, Cause I was sick of not getting that as both an actor and a director mm-hmm. and a writer, like just the lack of producerial support because we've created this, this culture as well, where, you know, there, because there are so few opportunities for actors and for writers, we're creating a culture where actors and writers just start producing because they want to work. And yeah. if they're not getting opportunities, they have to make them, which is amazing. The thing that we're lacking is like proper producerial training or like yeah. experience or mentorship or anything. And so we're creating this, this culture of incompetence, complete incompetence, you know, and that's so damaging because then artists are having bad experiences and they don't want to do art anymore. And audiences are seeing terribly produced shows. And so audiences are going to stop going to theater. Right. So like, interesting. Yeah. That's, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you wish that the producer on that show had done for you? Mm. Listened. Mm-hmm. listened when I you said spoke, right like you said totally okay yes um cared <laughs> it's like really basic stuff yeah. right because then like just human literally just yeah human. if we can just treat because we've we've created this thing where performers aren't people yeah. right where actors are replaceable you can you know there's a hundred people who want your job and therefore actors are like conditioned into this like well, I just better shut up and do it and, and just do whatever the director says and then go on stage and wear the costume even if I'm uncomfortable. And like, that's my job as an actor. And we're taught that in school, right? It's like, say your lines, don't bump into the furniture and, and don't make a fuss about anything, right? Because mm-hmm. we're so replaceable. Um, and that's something that as a producer, I try to not ever perpetuate, right? Like I yeah. prefer that people come to me when they have an issue. Yeah. But if that producer had... A, heard me the first time and taken steps to mitigate the situation or had had the costume designer take steps to it. 
be been proactive in solving the problem once it was clearly a problem, right? Because of course the rental package came in, exactly what I voiced was an issue, and then it just never got resolved. And so there were multiple steps along the way where all it takes is for the boss to go, hey, this needs to be solved, right? Like I'm producing a show right now where an actor has a, a prop, a cane, and it's like we saw the cane breaking and it's like no one was resolving it until the producer comes in and says, yo, like that cane needs to be fixed because it's a problem. Right. And then it's like, Oh, of course. And then the cane gets fixed. Right. Yeah. So (laughs) it really like, as, as the people in positions of power um, and as the deciding factors of things, we need to know that like, we have to prioritize problem solving for everyone, not just for us and not just for our budget and our bottom line. Right. Yeah, Because we do a lot of really creative thinking when it's like, oh, we're running out of money. We have to solve it immediately. We do less creative thinking when it's like, hey, our actor is really suffering here. We have to solve it immediately. Mm-hmm. So if, if I had been listened to, and then even when the problem hadn't been resolved, if I had been heard and cared about, it would have been a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If that producer had just come and said like, hey, I'm so sorry this happened. I know it's not okay. And we'll solve it before opening. That would have been fine. Or even if we didn't solve it for opening, if it had been... Someone had, like, acknowledged it, right? Totally. That's it. That's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Woof. Yeah. Sorry. That was a rough one. That's okay. No, it's good. (laughs) No, it's not not that it was long. It's just, like, that is, like, an intense... Yeah. um, It's an intense experience to have lived... Yes. To have lived as you, yourself, Mm -hmm. but then... Also, just thinking about like how many places have I experienced that happening oh where it God. wasn't necessarily me in the center of it, right. but um, now I'm sort of going back and like, have I like been a part of that silencing? Have I mm-hmm. like where have I been complicit in that? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I believe that I have always I voice things when I see them, but I'm sure mm-hmm. that like, when I was 14, I certainly didn't. You know, sure. Sure. And it's hard to know like what's your battle and what's not. Right. And like, I struggle with that a lot as, as, you know, as someone who is an ally, but struggles of like when to speak up for someone else, because I don't want to fall into like the savior issue. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, it can be challenging. And so I think that that's why I always come from a place of, of asking and of trying to listen of like, what do you need? Right. Because if someone, if anyone in the cast had come up and said like, Hey, I see that this is an issue. I'm like, it's obviously a problem for you. It's a problem for me. I'm pissed about it. Like, is there anything I can do to help? Or do you want to just like support you from afar, step back or whatever? Like that is the best way that we can approach anyone because it's, it's challenging when we see people who are from different experiences that we can't directly relate to that experience to know how to help them because we don't have their knowledge base. We don't have their life experiences. Right. And so we're in a difficult time for sure. We're in like a sensitive and tricky time, but all we can do is listen to each other and support each other and at least acknowledge when something is kind of messed up. Right. And and try and do the best we can with the tools that we have, you know? I think it's really cool that you're thinking of that as primarily as a producer too, because I've never, I don't think I've ever had an experience with a producer where the producer was nurturing that way. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Directors have created beautiful safe spaces. Yeah. Um, like co-creators have done that, but I don't know that I've ever had an experience where a producer cared or like seen, I mean, I'm sure that they like cared on a intellectual sure. level, but never like really expressed the like, Hey, you're a person. And I see that you're a person. Yeah. And how can I make this 
better for you as a person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really of the mind that art and artists are equal, right? Because there's, I've, I've experienced two types of companies. I've experienced companies where the art is put first, right? Which is most of them. The, the show must go on. And mm-hmm. whether you're sick or you just, you check your drama at the door, you know, someone just died, just shut up and go on stage because the show must go on. That's what we're trained, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one very kind of like damaging way. And it leads to really, even like, even in the least damaging scenarios, it leads to like rehearsals that are too long or too exhausting. Oh it God. leads yes. to right? Like not getting proper breaks. It leads to like a little bit of chaos and everyone can relate to that. And therefore your artists suffer and therefore they can't perform to the best of their ability. Right. On the complete other end of the spectrum, we have these very like artist centric organizations that are so about the experience and so about like coming together as, as people. And we just like see what is you and we put it on the stage and then the shows aren't very good. Mm-hmm. because they're self-serving. And and I think both of these things are, I don't mean to like invalidate either of them. They all have their place, but I come from a place that when we, when we treat them as equal, when both the show and the people putting on the show are of equal importance, then they both get better and they both are elevated. Like they rise together. They're not independent of each other and we can't value them independently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, Julie, what is the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater? Um, (laughs) sorry let me think about it uh because there's I mean there's so many the cops (laughs) like the wheels are turning I think that that the most important oh that was probably a cute like podcast noise um I think the most important lesson that I've learned in my years of theater is that if you don't have the knowledge or the resources to do something, either get the knowledge and the resources or don't do it. Um, which is hard to say as an artist, because of course, like there's this hippie part of me that wants to say, you know, all art is beautiful and all, all art is valid and we should just all be making as much as we possibly can. And like, you don't need money and you don't need whatever. And, and I think that part of that is true. And I don't mean, I don't want to discredit that at all, but the flip side of it is that we're then trying to, especially theater, trying to produce theater with no resources, right? It's like, we're just going to get a bunch of our friends together and we're going to do it for the fringe. And that's super admirable, but also we need to take a look at what we're trying to produce. If you're trying to produce a show that has a, what's a spell? Sorry. My heart is falling apart. (laughs) Um, If you're trying to produce a show that has, you know, a, a blank fire weapon and an assault scene and um, a ton of costumes and a ton of lights and, and a ton of production value, you probably shouldn't try and just do it for the fringe with a thousand dollars. Right. Because it's not going to be very good. Like I said, audiences aren't going to want to come back. But also, you know, if we don't have the resources to do things like stage violence or stage intimacy, then doing them is damaging, right? Like that's pretty, pretty ground level. Like if you don't know how to put a, a firing weapon on stage, don't put a firing weapon on stage, right? And so I think that we we run into this a lot of of the like theater being very like everyone up by their bootstraps kind of ideal. And like, and the actors are just going to stay late and paint the set. Right. And it's like, but oh they have God. to sleep also. Ooh, right? want to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so the lesson is, is like, is prioritize or like scale back or, or 
be smart about what you do. And as someone who is a super ambitious person and has had to learn a lot about scaling back, like I speak from a lot of experience here, because I'm always like, we're just going to do a festival. We'll do 10 shows in 10 weeks and it'll be great. And I, I'm really <laughs> grateful to have an associate producer who's like, sit down. No, like <laughs> we're not going to do that. And I'm like, no, it's going to be great. And I'm going to produce them and direct them and write them. And like, it's going to be all this. And she's like, no, you're not. I'm like, you're right. You're right. Right. And so I think that we all need that person or need to be that person. That's like, let's talk about what's realistic and what we can actually, actually achieve with the time, the money and the people that we have access to. Right. If you don't have access to an intimacy choreographer, don't put intimacy on stage, do a different play. Right. If you don't have access to a fight choreographer, do a different play. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, that is, I think, the biggest lesson that I've ever learned is, like, do not try and produce beyond your means. It is so damaging on so many levels to so many parts of theater. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard lesson to learn because, like, we just want to make art all the time. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. We do. No one wants to be told, do a different play. And right? we want to do, like, exciting stuff, you know, and, like, mm. daring stuff and yes. all of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's a challenge that you're facing right now? God, what, what isn't a challenge? Um, the same challenge we're all facing, which I think is, is no, actually, I don't know that anyone else is facing this challenge. I don't want to speak for anyone else. Um, a challenge that I am facing right now and always is, um, does art matter? I really would love to be one of these like really admirable people, artists who just like so without question believes in the power of art and I'm not. And that has been something that I have, I have struggled with frequently. It's like, you know, I, of course I believe that art matters intellectually, but then every time that something terrible in the world happens, every time there's a tragedy, I find myself kind of like stopping, right? There are people whose response to tragedy is to create. And then there are people whose response to tragedy is to freeze. And I am unfortunately a freezer, which as a theater maker and a producer and a writer and a director is like not <laughs> the thing that you want to do. And, <clears throat> and I have to every day convince myself that whether or not I feel like it matters, whether or not I believe it matters, like there's a reason that I'm in this industry and I'm never going anywhere else. Right. And so the challenge is continuing to do it. Even when you feel like there are a thousand other things that are more important. Right. Because like, it's just theater, right. I'm not volunteering for the red cross. I'm not saving the world in any aspect, but there's part of me that knows it matters. And it's, it's fighting through that part of me that freezes Mm -hmm. that says like, just stop, just go do something that matters. Right. Um, I think that's like the biggest challenge that I face every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, um, there's a couple of things coming to mind. The first is the difference between, um, well, just like the definition of courage, which is not yeah. that you don't get scared, but that like you get scared and then you do it anyway, mm-hmm. which I think is very parallel to your experience. Mm. <clears throat> and I also would like to offer a reframe if I may. Please. That I love fun. that. Um, which is that, like, like you said, some people wake up and they're just like, they know, like, oh, well, duh. Like, of course, this is the most important thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but in a way, waking up with that question every day and means you have to continue making the decision, 
which mm. means that every day you're deciding that it does matter. Oh, that's beautiful. Really immensely powerful. I love looking at it that way. That's so much better than how I was looking at it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like, mean, that's I'm abroad. Like, <laughs> right. I know, but I like I and I can hear like that. That's how it is in your head. But out from out here, I'm like, yeah. oh my god, that the fact that you're questioning it and doubting it, but you continue to do it anyway is massive. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you for giving me that little reframe. You're welcome. I hope it's yeah. helpful. <laughs> it is. It is. And That's I will just take what it, it looks like me. from out here. I'm just naming oh, it. Oh, so. thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, the, I love this question so much. Okay. Um, I'm in. Or rather, I love the answers to this question. Let's see. Oh, that. no pressure. Cool. Okay. Cool, cool. No pressure. <laughs> but it's okay. You can literally say anything and it's going to be great. Um, great. What is something that you do in your theatrical work? Mm. that if we all did it in our regular daily lives, it would make our lives better? Ask questions first. Ooh, okay. How does that um, play out? Totally. I mean, I think that it's it's like basically what I've been saying this whole time, right, is, is acknowledging that I don't have all the answers, right? I don't, I don't know everything. I am never the smartest person in the room, for sure. And especially as directors and as producers, we're always expected to be. And so, like, I'm just not, right? And coming from a place of that, coming from a place of admitting that, knowing that, and therefore trying to get the answers that I need or get the other perspectives that I'm looking for um, before acting on anything. How, how many different people can I ask this question? The trick is to not do it to a point where it's like paralyzing and you just like need to get all of the advice possible and then you don't make a decision, right? But if, if we before acting, stop, get a full view of the situation, make sure we know everything that's going on and get a couple other perspectives about what the best course of action is and then act on it. Ultimately, we're doing everyone a lot better because we're probably making a smarter decision than we would have made ourselves. And also we are signaling to people around us that they matter and that their opinions are important to us. Right. Um, that costume example that I gave, if someone, if the producer had come to me and said, you know what, like I'm a 40 year old white straight guy and I don't know what you're talking about or how to handle it. Tell me more. Oh my God. That's like so powerful. Just that admission of like, I don't come from your experience. I've never been like a plus size person and uh, (laughs) that would be like so much better. And so I think that the way that translates to life is, is a matter. I mean, whether it's like at your corporate job or at your family reunion, before we spring into action or before we spring into response, like if we take it, you know, if someone says something hurtful to you, that's tricky. If we can come at it from a place of empathy and asking why they would say that, mm-hmm. or whether it's asking that question of ourselves or getting like gaining perspective from people around us, before we respond, before we text them back, before we, you know, punch our uncle at the family table or whatever it is. Um, just me? No. Uh, my uncle's great. I'm uh, but, but before we act on that, then, then ultimately we're just so much better and we have such a, a, a more level head about everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we're pushed into this, into this life in the society where everything moves so quickly. And it's like, especially in, in, especially as actors, that's like the biggest thing. If you don't say yes to the part right away, then it's like, it's offered to someone else or, you know, social media has happened so quickly. Everything happens so quickly. We just have to learn to like, take a step, take a beat, ask a question and move forward from there. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Um, there's a good book 
that was it's looks really silly it has like a like a purple cover with like a cartoon on it and it's like it. maybe like a quarter <laughs> of an inch thick um okay. it's called uh change your questions change your life and it was actually the first book that was assigned to me uh in my master's program at harvard oh my god like what is this nonsense like yeah. seriously but it was phenomenal it was kind of all about that like what oh happens when you instead of just taking the min- the tiny bit of information that's given to you and deciding and like mm-hmm. responding and being emotional, like, and allowing all of that. Like what happens if instead you ask some questions and like, yeah, find out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. It's pretty good. It's a really, it's a really simple little book, but it's pretty great. There's a really nice that. little diagram of um, like a guy and he's walking a path and it forks into two things and one way goes up to something enlightenment of some kind and the other one goes sure. into what the what's called the judger's pit <laughs> so yes like, oh my god yes. right down into like this pit of like judgment that just like it's like a vortex right yeah totally um fantastic anyway highly recommend the book uh, oh i love that i will check it out for sure yes and i'll put a link in the show notes if it this ends up making it into the podcast <laughs> deal <laughs> um because i can't remember the author's name off the top of my head of course no so. yeah I shouldn't say, of course, about that. Sometimes I remember authors. I, um, I support you either way. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. so here for you. My brain is like kind of low functioning today. I'm not. I'm like having trouble mm. with my today. I don't. Know. It happened. So it's a Saturday. It is Saturday. It's day <clears throat> three of my period or something. Yeah, right around there, and I'm just still like yeah. kind of. Yeah, I'm totally, totally feel you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, next question. Yeah. Should theater be accessible curriculum to everyone in the universe? Oh my God. Accessible? Yes, absolutely. Required? I'm not sure. Um, but absolutely. I mean, I, I won't even pretend to like have read any studies on it, but I would be shocked if all of the studies don't prove that like early access to the arts is, is one of the most important things in terms of like creating functioning humans. Um, I also have like so rarely heard of anyone who really got into theater like super late in life and felt like, oh man, I wish I, I'm so glad I didn't have access to it earlier. Right. Um, I wish I had like a more articulate or uh, like profound answer, but to me, it's like a fucking course it should like, duh. Right. Um, I am, I so support theater as education, like so strongly. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Yay. Um, and you already answered my follow-up question, which is always just why you Oh, nailed it. it. (laughs) Done. Check. Um, okay. Last question. Second to last question. Okay, great. Okay. This is your moment to plant a seed in the hearts, minds, or spirits, or all three of the people who are listening to this podcast today? Oh my goodness. So many seeds to plant. Um, Inclusivity matters. Authenticity matters. Intersectionality matters. Um, being, being Being authentic to yourself, being true to the work that you do, committing to that fully and not being afraid to commit to that fully and not letting outside sources tell you that whatever the thing you want to do, um, doesn't matter. Don't listen to that. Right. I, I started a queer theater company. There were a lot of people that told me to not let myself get pigeonholed into that, that 
by saying we do queer art, we empower queer stories. Um, by saying that I'm like closing off a lot of avenues. It was so hard to not listen to that. It still is so hard to not listen to that. Still today, I'm like, well, we're not like really just a queer theater company. Like mm. we do a lot of like inclusive and intersectional work, right? Like I don't, I don't not want to work with people of color. Like, you know what I mean? Just because no, we only do queer work. But at the end of the day, I knew that I wanted to make a safe space for queer artists and that I believed in the importance of queer art, partially because I am a queer person. And like, that's where my experience lies. And the, it's so hard to quiet those voices, but when you just, you have to dial back into that authentic commitment to, to the work that you believe in and that, that, that trueness to self. And that's the most important thing because we see through it every day and companies that are not authentic about the work they do and people who are not authentic about the people that they are, are so easy to see through and no one wants to be a part of that. Right. Whether you're a company or a person, fuck those guys. Right. (laughs) And so like get rid of everything that you think you're supposed to be right. Get rid of the idea that you're supposed to be this or that and just dial in on what's true to you and stay there because that matters. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, here's the real last question. Okay. Let's talk about this misconnections thing that was yes. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Listeners, uh, there is a beautiful Facebook group called Women Plus in Theater, which I highly recommend that you join. Um, but Julie posted a misconnections like a, you know, like in like, <laughs> like old school Craigslist. Yeah. Old school, like yeah. Craigslist, old yeah. school newspapers. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, I was at this, I was at this place on this day and I saw yes. this person and here's who you are. And if you're still, if you like are reading this, please, read this, I would yeah. love to meet you. Um, yes. which is such a great thing. So you posted that. I totally did. Has anything come of it? Oh my God. N- not yet. What? I remain optimistic. Oh. I rem- I know it that can't be that hard because it was at a uni. It was in the, at an IATSE. It was IATSE. I know. I remain optimistic. <sighs> so here's. It was like, and it's super out of character for me. This person like walked into my office. I'm the marketing coordinator at like a local Lort Theater, and they like walked into the office, and I was like, <laughs> just, just like, yes, obviously, like super attractive. I don't want to say obviously very attractive to me. Um, <laughs> and also like had this like aura and this air that I was just like, that's someone that I want to know. Mm-hmm. It's like, I totally out of character for me. It was just like, what's the worst that could happen. Right. Yeah. I'm confident they're going to see it because this group is so large and it's like, you know, and I, someone's I was like, gonna, like point them. Someone's going to like, they're going to find it. it yeah. How many like young female body diazzi reps could there possibly be? Probably right. not many. Um, and so the, uh, I was like, I really can't lose because either they see it and they think it's hysterical and they message me in which case they're exactly my type or they see it and they're like, this is really weird. In which case I have no business like being friends with you because if you don't think it's hysterical, (laughs) you're not my type and we wouldn't get along. It's Um, a perfect filter really in a way. Totally. Exactly. Or they're like taken or, you know, there's obviously that as well. Uh, but nothing yet. Okay. I will keep, I will keep everyone posted. Yes, please do. Uh, <laughs> I, there's like so many people rooting for this to happen. Oh my gosh. Even really? like, like, I don't even comments know alone. Cares, not the outcome. I know the comments are fantastic. <laughs> no, I know. Everybody so went, is like, I don't know. I think we just want to know. Of course. What is going to, like, I, we, I just want you to connect with them because then, then you'll be connected to someone that you thought was really interesting, you know? Exactly. I mean, and it's just. Amazing. 
and I have to say, like the GIF game on this comment section, yeah, the, a number great. of popcorn eating GIFs has been really like fulfilling for me as a person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just like this like, group this comes is to play. real drama. This is like yes. theater at its best. Really, we need to. But know. it's like this long is... form. <laughs> That's. I was like, maybe I'll get a great play out of it. Like something yeah. good. Will come oh, it's out of it. so fantastic. And I, I mean, I am a say. person. I have literally like chased a person. That sounds really terrible, but I like, <laughs> I, I quickly followed a person out of the grocery store because she had been, um, like, I just was like, she seems really interesting. Like, I just want to yeah. meet this person who clearly yeah. like, lives in my neighborhood. Um, yeah. and I wasn't sexually attracted to her. I wasn't like romantically. Yeah. I just was like, you seem really nice. And yeah, I just want to know you. I want to be your friend. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah we, oh my gosh. So yeah, I know. Um, but I'm totally that person because I was like, same thing. I was like, either she'll respond and be like, oh yeah, that's like, sure. Let's be friends. Or she'll be like, who the fuck are you? Please get away from me. In which case yeah. I can't be her friend anyway. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's the perfect little yeah. screener. It's so I feel, great. I feel confident. I've been thinking about it and I'm like, if they saw it on the day that I posted it, which was two days ago. So okay. it's been a minute, right? Like <sighs> if I saw that, if I were into it and going to respond, I would give it a minute. I would be like, let me not respond right away. Let me play it cool. So I'm giving them space okay. to like play it cool, That's but cool. I remain optimistic. Yeah, there, you mm. also have to let the the network, like the, um, yeah. the telephone game, do its work. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So also we'll consider. Uh, I don't know if you're in any like IATSE groups or there's like a mm-hmm. uh, women plus in uh, in USITT group. Like there's oh. like, other interesting mm. places where should spread it. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like. Um, I've been fortunate to get a few messages from attract, very attractive people who are like, oh. hey, if you don't find her, though, here's my number. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So, like, just, you know, maybe maybe something, you know, if you're watching this podcast. That's uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, so um, I feel confident that, like, even the universe will work out something great from it, you know, yeah, even if it's sure. the, the, quote, desired goal. <laughs> yeah, I feel really good about it. <laughs> we'll keep um, me updated because I'm invested. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. I feel like so many people are. It's definitely going to require a follow-up post. It's so great. Sure. Isn't it amazing yeah. how much we can like buy into other people's stories and just like, oh, yeah. be in them and put ourselves in them? Oh my gosh, them? so much. I like, I've yeah. gotten comments that are like, I've never been as invested in anything so quickly ever in my entire life. And I'm like, same though. Like I, it's, I, I literally, and it happened because I was joking with my coworker who was like, Oh, who's that cutie? And I was like, same question. And then we were joking about like, I should like post like a misconnections. And then I was like, why? What, yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's see what happens. It's maybe so nothing. Great. Thank you. But if nothing else, you made a couple friends in, uh, yes. the, Women Plus in Theater Group. Oh my gosh, so, exactly. So it's going, okay. it's going well. <laughs> and it's also just going to be a good conversation in the future. Exactly. No matter it's what. It's going to be a great story. Great story. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so take so, chances, everyone. Take risks. Take risks. Oh, yes. please. Especially when it comes to just making friends. I mean, making friends is hard enough as an adult in yes. day and age. Yes. Makes me sound super old and weird, but no, it's true, uh, but it can be difficult and tricky mm-hmm. and challenging and scary and all those things. So when you feel yeah. compelled to connect with someone, do it. Because why it. not? Yeah. Totally. What's the worst that could happen? They could be a exactly. killer, but whatever. That's fine. We'll deal with that when it comes. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Jump off that bridge later. <laughs> okay, Julie, if listeners 
want to contact you, hire you, find out yes. more about your theater company, maybe come audition for you. Um, how can they do it? What is the best oh my way gosh. to connect? Yes. So many good ways. Um, the, we're online. The company's online. It's www.thecommonsla.org. Um, and you can find my email on there. You can find our socials on there. That's like going to be kind of your central hub. Um, if you want to hit me up directly, I'm on Instagram at official Julie you're welcome for not making you remember how to spell my last name on my Instagram. It's like my yeah. gift to the world. Because it's got like 80... <laughs> hundred letters. <laughs> yeah. And like two consonants. Yeah. It's like a wheel of fortune nightmare because it's like, can I buy a vowel? <laughs> no. Um, you don't get any of the letters. There's nine letters. Seven of them are vowels. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just official Julie O at Instagram or the commonsla.org. Perfect. Super easy. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for your time today. Thank for you. Your oh thank my God. You thank you for your energy. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for the, the work that you're doing in the world and for the impact that you are making. Um, Back at you. This podcast super is super cool. I can't wait to hear all of it. Thanks. I love it. Congratulations. Thank yeah, it's you. so cool. That is what I've got for you today. If you want to chat about what you've heard, learn about upcoming episodes before they drop, or simply say hello, follow Find Your Light Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast or on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast. And you can follow me, Emily Stamets, at The Emily Stamets on any of those platforms. Take a second right now to hit that subscribe button and remember to tell your friends how awesome this podcast is so they can subscribe too. If you or someone you know would make a great guest, email the Find Your Light team, which is me and my cat, Subi the Engine Kitty. You can reach us at podcast at emilystamets.com. Until next time, stand confidently center stage and enjoy your show.